at Anchored Hope, we're committed to excellence. We believe that compassionate, biblically grounded, clinically informed counseling shouldn't be hard to find. That's why we are also committed to affordability and accessibility. To do this as a nonprofit, however, requires us to lock arms with people who care about the mental, emotional, and spiritual crisis happening all around us. Whether it's $5 or $1,000, we need your help. These proceeds go to men, women, and families, pastors, ministry leaders, and missionaries across the globe in need of counseling care today. In order to join us, go to anchoredhope.co backslash give and join the cause for accessible, affordable, and excellent counseling care today. Anchored Hope provides practical help to those hurting by anchoring their hope in Jesus and helping others gain a better understanding of his promises. We offer reputable biblical counsel to those suffering or experiencing difficult seasons. Our counselors are highly trained and bring a vast experience in addressing the various issues of life. To meet with a counselor, visit anchoredhope.co to find a counselor that fits your needs and schedule an appointment today. Hello and welcome back to This Versus That. Today on This Versus That, we have Dr. Mac Brunson. Dr. Brunson is a senior pastor at Valleydale Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and he recently wrote a book called God is For You, Learning to Trust God's Wisdom Through Life's Crisis. Mac is married to Debbie. They have three children and 16 grandchildren. He has been in the ministry for decades. Mac has a ton of wisdom to share with us. Uh, Today's topic is wisdom versus knowledge. I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is. Dr. Brunson, thank you so much for joining us today on This Versus That. We are really excited to talk with you about this topic of wisdom versus knowledge. It's one that we encounter a lot in counseling. But before we do that, could you just share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family and your ministry background, just for those who don't already know who you are, just to uh, help them get to know you a little bit better? Sure. And it's good to be with you, Brian and Becca. Good to see Becca again. I was born into a very committed Christian home, very functional family. My daddy saw to it that it functioned. He was a man's man. He boxed golden gloves, went in on the invasion of Europe. He played a big part in my life, but he was as godly a man as I've ever met. Had a huge impact on my life. So we grew up in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, two-week revivals in the fall, two-week revivals in the spring, you know, so it was, it was that. I came to Christ uh, at 12 years of age on a, on a cot in a cabin up in the North Carolina mountains out of a Gideon New Testament, um, reading John 3.16 and putting my name in the verse, you know, for God so loved Mac Brunson that he gave his only begotten son, know that I was saved at that moment. Uh, at 12 years of age, at around 15 or so, I did what most teenagers do. I'm looking for freedom and, you know, want to live life my way. And so I kind of ran from God for several years, uh, but knew that God was calling me to ministry. So my first semester of college on Labor on Thanksgiving weekend, I came home and had just determined I was going to walk down the aisle and surrender to ministry, which is what I did. So I wanted to go into law, but the Lord just kind of shifted me a different direction. 
finished at Furman University, went to Southwestern, but really went home, pastored my first little church, which was a real small country church. I think we had 12 the first Sunday morning and knew that I needed to go to seminary. I knew that I needed more training than what I had. So I, we took off with a baby in our arms and a baby on the way and went to Southwestern. And now I'm three degrees out of Southwestern, a master's, a doctor of ministry and, and a PhD. And I'm in my, boy, I'd have to go back and count now out of seminary about my fifth church, I think. And I well, hope that's it because I'm at the point to where I'm, you know, the Lord's going to have to show up, knock on the door and tell me to move if I've got to move this time. <laughs> Well, I love that you shared all that because what that tells me is that you have a ton of wisdom to share in terms of ministry and the different things and and, and really the history of your dad passing yeah. down his wisdom to you. You just wrote a new book called God is for You, Learning to Trust God's Wisdom Through Life's Crisis. And I I was able to read a copy of that and endorse it. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading it because you are a man of history. If you know Dr. Brunson, you know that you love history, that you love telling stories of history. So I really enjoyed being able to read the stories of history and then wisdom. But I think in terms of, of this, what we're trying to do here in wisdom versus knowledge, I think we should define wisdom and knowledge and the differences between those two. Can you do that for us? Well, I'll give it a shot. I'm going to tell you, that's just about like trying to explain the Trinity. You know, you, you, you come up with what you think are good ideas, but then you go back and rethink it and think, I don't know if I can ever get my hand around it. I think knowledge is the, is information. There, there are things that I know by information and that's knowledge. You, you know, it through experiences in life or reading or those got going to school or, you know, those kind of things. It's a knowledge of, let me, let me just give you an example, you know, out of Proverbs 15, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but, but a grievous response or a hurtful or painful answer is going to stir up anger. That's knowledge. I know that. I don't always act in that. Mm -hmm. I think that's true of a lot of us. We, we know that, but we don't now wisdom comes in godly wisdom. And when you're reading scripture, it is clear that there is godly wisdom. And then there's the wisdom of this world. And James even talks about that. The, you know, the wisdom that comes from this world is hurtful and divisive and all of that. So godly wisdom comes in over that knowledge and takes that knowledge and it operates that knowledge in a way that is a blessing to you and a glory to God. Mm -hmm. it, it benefits me and it blesses God. God is honored through his wisdom being displayed in our lives. So when I, I say that, I say, when I get into a situation and I think, you know, a soft answer, a soft answer, I know that. But wisdom comes in and tells me how I'm to do that, when I'm to do that, and what that looks like. So I, I've given that illustration because it's it's easier to illustrate it than it is to define it. Hmm. Yeah, and that's it's it's almost like wisdom is knowledge applied well. That's a that's one way. That's a great way to put it. 
and I have put it that way before myself, is that um, wisdom is taking knowledge and using it. Again, I go back to say for my good and for God's glory. Dr. Brunson, we know that wisdom is is one of those things that's not learned in a vacuum. You don't just read a book and say, oh, I, there's there's wisdom. I'm going to now do wisdom. But it's really learned through the experiences of life. It's learned through seasons that, in which we were tested. And so I'm curious if you could share, is, is there a season of your life where maybe because of something you went through or something you experienced, that distinction between wisdom and knowledge became more clear or clarified for you and yeah. maybe helped you apply it in new ways? Yeah. And Brian, I would say, you know, there are spurts in life. Maybe that's a not a great way to put it, but they're just those moments where you kind of go through a growth spurt. I think that happens spiritually as well. And so there have been moments, times, this last occasion that I talk about in the book was probably the most defining occasion for me, one of the most jarring occasions for me. And to an extent, probably I can't deny my fault in it, because, you know, you'll get to the place where you think I've got all the wisdom I need. I'm handling everything right. And you just don't. And God says, let's, let's go back to school. Boy, don't you hate God taking you back to school? <laughs> you know, I just pray, you know, when I get in one of those situations, help me to learn really fast. Well, it took about 18 months for me to get to where God wanted me to be in this very emotional. It was very painful for me, for my wife. It was very discouraging and disheartening. I had counseled people and I'm not a counselor and I tell people that, but for some reason in the church, everybody wants to see the preacher, but I understand my limitations, but I have counseled with people who had panic attacks. I really couldn't understand it. I can now because I went through two occasions where I felt like I was either having a heart attack because I could not get my breath. I couldn't breathe. It was like I was being choked or the, the breath was just choked out of me. One was in a parking lot and one was driving the car home. And the only thing that brought me back off of the edge was just praying at that moment and really expressing to God how I felt. So I would say, Brian, in this, this episode that I described, this period that I describe in the opening of the book, yes, that was a moment where the wisdom of God through that period and beyond you know, over the last couple of years, as I've thought through it, worked through it, tried to process it, write ideas down, did God's wisdom in all of this become clearer to me? And then that's what I try to share in the book is, and I relate it back to biblical characters, especially you generally to the life of Moses, where I saw so much of the wisdom or I see so much of the wisdom of God. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. When you're talking about Moses and his wisdom, what what can we learn from him there? Well, you know, he was in a crisis himself, and he was in an ongoing crisis that didn't let up for 40 years. You know, he kills the Egyptian, and he flees uh, for his life, and he's out in the wilderness. To me, he's basically 
my life is over. Everything is done. This guy who was set up to possibly be Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, all of that's gone. He's out there watching sheep. And of course, he encounters God in the burning bush. And he has to deal with, man, I didn't handle anything right. I didn't handle it right. It was crazy for me to do the things that I did. He murdered a man and all of the things that, and I think Moses had come to the understanding that maybe he was the deliverer that God was going to use that 40 years earlier, but God had to put him in school for 40 years. He was in the university on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years and God does use him. And he begins now to operate not in his own ability because he was a very educated man. Stephen tells us that in Acts, that he was educated in all the learning of, of the Egyptians. But now he's in God's university when he's out there in the wilderness. And so he begins to learn the wisdom of God. He begins to operate, let me say, in the wisdom of God. What are some ways that Christians might seek wisdom apart from knowledge. Is that possible? What are what do you think are the dangers of that? Yeah, I, well, I, yeah, sure, without knowledge, because it sounds like, well, I've got to go and get an education first, and then I can get godly wisdom. Mm-hmm. You don't, my dad didn't have but an eighth grade education. That's mm. That's all he had. But he was an incredibly wise guy. I I used to watch my dad at his furniture store, take a couple back in his office, shut the door. And I would ask him later, dad, what, what was doing? He said, well, that's so-and-so he runs this business and his marriage is falling apart. And I was in there just giving him some biblical counsel. He did that all the time, but he didn't have but an eighth grade education. He had no formal training at all. But he knew the wisdom of God's word, and he could apply it to people's lives. So I don't want people to think that you've got to get an education before you could ever be access the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God comes in studying this. This is where the wisdom of God comes. And if you're, you're not in this, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to pick up the wisdom of God. You'll only hear it from other people. Which is the Bible. The word of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Oh, I forgot. We're on, we're on a pocket. I'm holding (laughs) up the Bible. That's the place (laughs) I know to get the wisdom of God. You're used to preaching. You need a pulpit. So, you know, I think I live in a city where accumulating knowledge is primary. Whatever you know is what's primary and how you actually leverage that knowledge is how far you will get here which is entirely different than cultivating a life of wisdom. And I think in our world, particularly now, I feel like it's now more than ever, but I don't know a whole lot. But there is the sense in which if I can get more information, if I can just get more knowledge, then I will know what to do. Because we, we kind of feel handicapped a bit in just where the world is and where it's going. So how would you encourage someone who's looking at where we are and going, I, I am flooded with knowledge. I'm flooded with information and I don't even know what's right or wrong. How do I then go cultivate this life of wisdom? Well, Becca, you know, I'm going to say the first thing is the word of God. And the second thing is you need to get in a fellowship somewhere where they actually teach the word of God. Now, let me, let me give you just a quick little 
historic illustration here to along what you're learning. In 1933, there was an extremely smart German young man who had just graduated university uh, in the area of architecture. His name was Albert Speer. And he went to a speech that was being made by a guy, a German, by the name of Adolf Hitler. And this very intelligent, very smart, very academic architect was bowled over with who Adolf Hitler was and became his architect that Hitler gave him the, the, the task of designing a new Berlin. And as they got into the war, he became the Reich's Minister of Armament and Munitions was one of the 24 that was tried at Nuremberg. But now the whole point of that is, look at how well-educated this German architect was, and he failed for one of the biggest frauds in human history. Mm-hmm. So it is not just an accumulation of knowledge. We, we see that that honestly doesn't get you anywhere. It is the wisdom of God that makes knowledge operate in the way it should. So I would say you've got to get into the word, but you're going to need somebody to help you. You're going to need a good pastor who is committed to the word and a fellowship of godly people that will help you along. Yeah. In your book, you said wisdom is wedding your knowledge to the word of God to make competent, godly, discerning decisions in life. And I just loved that because it's not separating those two things, but it's also a matter of, are you in the word of God? And then how, how is that leading you to make competent, godly, discerning decisions? And well, I, I think that's that so... I said that, but it sounds good <laughs> when you said it. It sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good. really I'm helpful. Glad I wrote that you did. Word <laughs> for word. But I like the idea of wedding it because you can't you can't divorce these two things from each no, other. No, yeah. Uh, but but they need each other, and yeah. the way to find that knowledge that's actually going to help you make those decisions is the cornerstone himself. Is yes. Jesus the cornerstone? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think I love that picture, but I think that's a great distinction of you can have all the knowledge and make poor decisions. Really, you really can. And a lot of that I've got a chapter in here that deals with who do you listen to. You know, Mm -hmm. your relationships, who do you let into your heart? Who do you let into your ear? Because if somebody starts giving you advice and you're listening to it, it's going to impact your thinking and your thinking is going to impact your decisions. So you need godly wisdom in in knowing who do I, I I think back about Spear, you know, just so intelligent. And yet he goes and he lets this guy get into his ear. It gets into his mind, and then it directs his entire life. Who we listen to, I told my children this over and over and over. If I can change your friends, I can change you. Because who you're around is going to have a tremendous, and Paul says that, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. Boy, my mama quoted that a thousand times. And it's really true. And what that is, is the relationships you build have a tremendous impact on your life. So true. And Dr. Brunson, that divorce between wisdom and knowledge that we've been talking about, it can kind of happen. Like the, the world has their own version of doing that. And I think Christians have their own versions of doing that, right? Where whether it's saying, I will pursue wisdom apart from knowledge, 
by just kind of having this very subjective, like, well, I feel like God told me, so that's what I'm going to do. Right. Or in the other direction, which might be even more common in our circles of conservative evangelical churches where the accumulation of knowledge is equated with wisdom. Right. Right. And that's so true. How would you speak to Christians who are maybe tempted in one of those two directions about the dangers of, of pulling those apart and either having seeking wisdom apart from knowledge or seeking knowledge that never leads us into wisdom? Well, the, the accumulation or the seeking of knowledge is just the pursuit of, of the flesh. Honestly, it's, it's an attempt that I want to impress everybody. I want everybody to come to me for answers. I'm looking for notoriety, that kind of thing. So the pursuit of knowledge apart from godly wisdom, I think leads to disastrous consequences, honestly. And then to go off after wisdom, you know, the word of God says, study to show yourself approved. It never says seek godly wisdom while you never tried to learn anything. I've given my life to education. I I believe in it. The funny thing is, is in my mid sixties now, I just feel like I'm starting to put the pieces together. You know, back in my thirties, I guess you would think, you know, oh, I've got it all together. Well, now I'm in my mid sixties and I think "Ah, I'm just now beginning to understand some things. So I I wouldn't, I wouldn't push away. I've seen too, too much of that growing up in the rural South is that I was told when I went into the ministry, whatever you do, don't you go to that Simpson, they'll mess your thinking up, you know, kind of deal. So I agree with what you're saying. I understand that what you're saying is to keep those two wed together. And I think that is, I think that is the wisest thing to do. You know, I'm thinking about wisdom in crisis because that's the title of the book, but also so many of people who are coming to Anchored Hope are, that's what they're looking for. That's what people really are wanting. Everybody's in some sort of a crisis, whether it's minor, whether they're trying to figure out their new parent, they're trying to figure out parenting or they have a cancer diagnosis and not a day goes by working with Anchored Hope, where I don't hear one of these stories of, we need help, we need wisdom. And so they're coming to Anchored Hope for wisdom. But, you know, going to a counselor uh, is always good and is always helpful, if your counselor is good and helpful. But I guess I should say that. But there's a sense in which we have to rely on the Lord to get us to a place of wisdom in the midst of that crisis. Are there some things that you've learned throughout your ministry and your experience of crisis that really helped you lean into that wisdom, maybe even encouraged you to continue to put one step in front of the other? You know, in the words of Churchill, you know, you just never give up. And, you know, this is not in the Bible, it's Churchill, but I declare it ought to be somewhere, <laughs> at least written on the back page. Somewhere. And that is when you're walking through hell, keep walking. That's persistence. That's just persistence. That's Churchill. But, you know, he who endures to the end will be saved. One of the things that I just went through the motions, and a lot of times you feel like I'm just going through the motions. I would get up every morning early, and I would go up to the study, and I would pull out the Bible, and I would turn to, because this became, for me, the passage that I felt like the Lord led me to to get me through that time. And that is Psalm 
118, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Just read that and think about it. And, and Becca, I'll tell you, one of the things that I have learned since, really within the last year or so, I get up early in the morning about 4.30 or so, and I'll go and I'll sit in, we've got a big bay window and we've got a couple of recliners there. And that's where we'll sit a lot of times and just read. So I go there, cup of coffee, because you, you can't read scripture without coffee. <laughs> so with a cup of coffee, I sit down and instead of praying so much, I just sit and, and wait for the Lord to impress my heart, to just speak to me, just to let me know. And in fact, this is the Psalm out of which the title of the book comes, where it says in verse six, the Lord is for me. And to just reflect on that, think about. So I did that almost in a rote fashion, but it was the thing that kept giving me breath. I I felt like, okay, I can breathe a little bit. And when you're going through a crisis, you're up and you're down, you're up and you're down. You know, you may be down a little more than you're up, but there come moments when you get up and then you drift back down and you know you're drifting down and you're trying to put on the brakes. So that's what I did in the mornings. That's what I would do. And then I would come back to it periodically. Sometimes I would do it three times a day, morning, noon, and night. I would just come back to this, get quiet. You need to be somewhere where you can be quiet. But now this is the warning I would give. And mainly to men on, on this is don't isolate yourself. Isolation is dangerous for a man. I don't know for a a woman, because I'm just a man. It, but isolation can be so dangerous for men to get into. When we are hurt, we're almost like a big bear. We we have to we run off in isolation by ourselves and just lick our wounds. And that's a dangerous place for men to get. Just, but you do need a little portion of the day where you can sit in quietness. And I think that I think that moment. When I intentionally do it because, Lord, I'm here and I'm waiting to hear a word from you. I don't know how I would have gotten through it had it not been for that. And, of course, the verse that Deb one day came up to the office and she said, I've got a word for us. This is the verse the Lord's given me for us at this time. And it's out of Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And the Lord just kind of translated that for me. And he says, while you keep your mouth shut. Which is wisdom. Yes. I made that comment earlier today in staff meeting that sometimes the wisdom of God is knowing when to just sit there and keep your mouth closed. Hmm. I think that's we should put that a, on a, a t-shirt. We could put it on a t-shirt yeah. and start selling that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's such an important principle. You've, you've come back now a number of times that you have God is for you. God is for you. And we don't often think about that being at the heart of wisdom. I think a lot of times Christians think wisdom is learning a set of principles that if I apply them, life goes wonderfully for me. Yeah. And, and actually wisdom so much more often looks like in the midst of crisis where I don't know what to do, it's trusting and believing God is for me and will act on my behalf. And so I, with that, I mean, it, it's, I think it is imperative for us to bring this to Christ, right? And to say, 
ultimately wisdom isn't just a list of principles, yeah. but it is wisdom incarnate in the person yeah. of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. And that's truth. How, how would you encourage Christians in the midst of whatever they're going on to, to anchor their gaze on Christ as the wisdom of God before we're trying to like make wisdom something that they master or, you know, get down into just a list. That's the hard part, Brian, is just, is just doing that is I, I've got to keep my focus. And I, th I'm ADD, I'm AD, triple D, quadruple D, you know, when I came along, they didn't have any medicine. It was just whoop the boy and send him back to school, you know? So it has been a lifelong process for me just to be still for a little bit, but to constantly think I have got to stop thinking on this, focusing, and I've got to put my focus back over here. I just have to keep, I don't know what it is for somebody that doesn't have an ADD mind, but I have to keep just redirecting myself back to Christ. And I think it's, you know, I can compare it to Peter getting out the boat. Now, hey, we, we have a lot of things we say about Peter, you know, getting out the boat and sinking, but he got out the boat. He was the only one to get out the boat. And as long as he kept his eyes on Christ, of course, he was able to walk on the water. He was able to come to Christ. When he looked away at the waves, when he saw what the wind was doing, he began to sink called out to the Lord, and the Lord, of course, grabbed him, picked him up, and put him in the boat, but he got his eyes back on, on Christ. You know, that's a great story for people to cling to right there, is I have got, if I put my eyes anywhere else, I can't put it, and listen, this is a preacher talking here. You can't put your eyes on a preacher. A preacher will disappoint you every time. A preacher will fail you. Why? Because he is human, just like everybody else. He's got foibles. He's got feet of clay. He's not perfect. You know, we look for people to become perfect for us, and we think we can cling to them. You cannot. I have the most wonderful wife in the world, but she is not honestly perfect. She's close to it now, but she isn't. But I can't keep my focus just on my wife that my wife is going to get me through. I have to keep my focus on Christ. No. We cling to flesh and blood. We really do. And we have to keep reminding ourselves there is something here that is more real than anything tangible, and that is Christ. That reminds me of the song that says, do not put your trust in princes. Yep. yep. Yeah, which has been my verse. Yeah. And many of those yeah. times when I sit alone, which is humbling because we want to be able to trust people we do. Uh, and we, we want to be able to rely on people. But it, it brings me to James 1. You mentioned James earlier. And the beginning of James is it's always been a little bit hard for me to swallow because he's saying you should really be, be really appreciative of these hard things you're going through. Mm. Anyone with the right mind is going to say, well, that doesn't make any logical sense. If you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't enjoy what he was about to go through. He knew it. He, he could see the pain and, and understood what he was about to walk through. And so he had this appropriately emotional response to going to the cross, as he should have. But then you see in James where it talks about considering it joy 
when do you face these trials? Yeah. A caveat of any kind of trial you're going through. But a couple of verses later, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. who's yes. going to give the, that wisdom to you generously. And, you know, it's interesting because then he talks about doubt and belief after that. And so much of trusting God and needing wisdom, we, we falter between belief and unbelief. Lord, mm-hmm. I believe, help my unbelief. And many times in this crisis, when I've been th- going through those is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because, yeah. so how would you encourage someone to ask God? Because he does give wisdom to us generally, but knowing that we are doubters. At the, at the end of the day, I'm saved by grace, but I'm a doubter. Yeah. How would you encourage me to keep putting I, that one foot in front of the other? I just, I just remind uh, myself and others of the verse, he knows our frame that we are but dust. Mm-hmm. God knows who I am. He knows that I'm human. He knows that I'm frail. He knows that I am easily broken. And just to know that he knows that. He deals with you in a gentle way. He deals with you in a very, all through this, and there were moments I prayed, myself, I prayed. I said, God, I know I must be the only person in all of Christian history that you just really find repulsive. And, you know, because I can't, all of this that was heaped on me, I felt like, God, you, you must not love me. Because if you loved me, all of this wouldn't be happening. Now, I may be saying something that's shocking, but we all think that way from time to time. That's why I kept going back to the word and understanding God says, no, I care for you. God is for you, David says in that Psalm, in Psalm 118. And just to remember the words of God, just to remember that he loves me, that he knows what I'm made of, that my life is in his hand. My times are in his hands. I, 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 at one, on one occasion, I kind of was thinking, Lord, you know, my name's going to be ruined. I've had a good, I've had such a good name. I, I've, you know, I've guarded my name. I've, I've tried to guard, you know, my reputation and my character so well. And my name is going to be settled. And I, I declare to you, it was as if the, the Lord impressed on my heart and he said, why don't you stop being so concerned about your name and be more interested in my name? And so I think even in moments of crisis, we have got to stop thinking so much about ourselves. Life is bigger than Mac Brunson. I can tell you that. The world is bigger. God's bigger. It, it, it's, it's not all about me. So- well- um, I love that answer. <laughs> I, it's just not all about me. And I, it, honestly, in crisis, you have got to get your mind off of everything that's happening to me. And by the way, the Lord from that time, and I've, I've thought about doing a second book and using some of this, is that every tear that I have cried, every, every hurt, every pain, every struggle, every difficulty is just God buffing a facet on the jewel of my life that he's going to present to the Father one day. And when I'm presented to the Father, all of that hurt, 
all of that pain, all of that struggle and difficulty is going to be a facet that will catch a piece of the glory of God and shoot his light out from my life. I know. So I have to look at my pain in that way, my hurt, my tears in that way, is that this is ultimately for some kind of good. From what you were just saying there, Dr. Brunson, it sounds like um, we could apply what Tim Keller says, you know, humility, the root of humility is, is experiencing the freedom of self-forgetfulness, where my gaze is upward and outward yes. on God and his yeah. glory and, and the needs of others. I wonder if we could say the same thing about wisdom, that, that yeah. wisdom begins with that upward and outward gaze and the freedom of self-forgetfulness of I just don't spend as much time thinking about me. Right. Right. And that's worship too. Mm. Um, wisdom, worship, you know, all of those things, it's, it's a constantly moving away from yourself and a looking to the Lord Jesus. Worship is in a, in a way is wisdom too. When I worship, I really do get my mind off myself and I begin to focus on the greatness of God. And of course, Dr. Keller said things in a way nobody else did, you know. And we're all getting to to live with all of it now. Praise the Lord for that, right? Mm. You know, I think so many people want answers on what the next step should be in a crisis. So, you know, A and B happened, so what's my my move for C? Or this person did this, so how do I respond? Or I got this diagnosis, what's my next step? And it, we really want a formula to tell us what to do. Mm. And I, we often think of, I think we think of wisdom that way. Wisdom is having the right formula in, the right, in that situation. Right. And I think that can handicap us because mm. we're expecting just to have the answer. Yeah. Why is that rarely the case? Well, you know, we've got these Western minds and we want everything to be one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D. It, you know, we give me the list and let me live out the list here. I had Dr. Well, he's not a doctor. Richard Owen Roberts, who's one of the godliest men I've ever met. He's still living. He is an expert in the area of revival. But he told me one time, he said, you, you young preachers give invitations too fast. He said, finish your sermon, sit down and just let the Holy Spirit work. Just give some time, sit there for a few minutes and let the spirit just apply everything that's been said. And I would say that that is wisdom. And to do that in the midst of your crisis, I've just come from the doctor. He said that, you know, I've got this and we've got to do this and we've got to make these appointments, that kind of thing. I I think the thing to do rather than jumping immediately, because that's what makes us feel good. You know, I've got to sit down here and get these things, you know, all of this stuff. Sit down somewhere and just be quiet enough to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We jump too quickly to make decisions. We think we've got to make a decision. Well, they put a time on me. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have rarely ever had God do anything in my time. It's always God's time. And it is better just to wait on God. I have come to the place, I have gotten this down pretty much to where I will not make a decision until I am certain this is what God wants me to do. And I can't let you put your timetable on me. And if that means that this, you know, 
let me give you a good example of you've got to buy a house and boy, that's the house I love. And that's the house we want and all of that kind of stuff. And we've got to know, and yet I just, God hasn't given me a timetable. God hadn't given me a piece about it. Well, I don't make a decision until God lets me know, well, I, I lost the house. I, somebody else got the house. Well, you know what? That's all right. Because that's not the only house that's out there. It's better to lose what you think is your dream than it is to get out ahead of God. Brian can probably relate. Brian just bought a house. I just bought a house. <laughs> yeah. It is so much better just to wait on the Lord. And I talk about every decision in life. Now, it's not, you know, are we going to eat this cereal to, today or oatmeal? And we sit here and we agonize. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about the major issues of life that we go through. We need to mm -hmm. take some time to give the Holy Spirit time to speak and to be sure that we're moving in God's time. Mm -hmm. I just wanted my crisis over. And it stretched out and out and out and out and out and out. I couldn't see any purpose in it. I, I can look back now and there are things that I could see. I can see that God was doing. And it's always best to wait on him and move in his time. We live in an age that demands instant reactions to things, right? Just social media operates that way. It's yeah. almost like we're expected to respond in real time to everything happening in our right. lives. And what you said is so true that often wisdom is found in those moments where we don't react and we just mm -hmm. say, I'm going to talk to the Lord and listen to the Lord yeah. until he gives some clarity. Right. That's the, that's the difference between reacting and responding. Mm. You know, I get some medicine from the doctor. I do not want to react to it, but I would like to respond to mm. it. So the same thing with the Lord or, or with a crisis, I don't, don't react. You know, it, it's almost always your first thoughts are almost always in the flesh. I hate to say, but they're almost always in the flesh. You, you think about a family, you know, that gets into a crisis situation and they start just hollering at each other. That's the first reaction. And it's almost always wrong. Wait and see what God's going to do. Wait and let God Give God the opportunity to move in the situation. I have often described our marriage as me being the racehorse and Andrew is that gate, you know, on the field that keeps the horse in until they're ready to go. Right. right. Eventually that gate has to lift so the horse can sit and run. Right. But, you know, and a lot of times you know, you need the gate. You need get you need to know when to actually run and when to stay still. And sometimes the horse doesn't like to stay still. You know, they're like fighting into the gate, but it's best for the horse and it's best for the runner on the horse or the rider on the horse. But I just keep picturing that as you're, as you're sharing that, that there's, there is a pendulum where we don't need to react and make rash decisions. Eventually we do have to move forward yeah. and actually walk out and whatever that wisdom is. But making sure that you have a gate that's holding you in place until the right moment is critical. Right. right. Well, I, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is just be still and know that I'm God. Mm. That's a huge, that's a huge statement of wisdom right there. Just to be still and know that God's God when you walk into a crisis. Yeah. It's interesting because I think so much of this wisdom and knowledge conversation is, is there are themes of trusting God in the midst yeah. of it. 
and you, you yes. have to trust God to be able you to do. implore wisdom. It is impossible, the word says, to please God apart from faith. Just have to trust him. Well, I am thrilled for people to be able to read your book and to what what do you what do you think in the chapters that you have written? What's your favorite chapter in the book? You know, the one I think that I do called Wisdom on the Sidelines. Mm-hmm. I remember when I wrote that, um, my my father-in-law played football at Clemson. And so that, you know, the whole family is Clemson. And, and when you marry into the family, you have to sign in blood that you are going to be a Clemson fan. So I remember watching last fall, the quarterback, Lele, and they pulled him out of a game and they stood him on the sideline. And that's kind of what you see God doing with Moses when he's out there in the wilderness. God's just pulled him off on the sideline. Never, ever think that when God pulls you out of the game and puts you on the sideline, that he's put you on the shelf. There's a lot of great counsel from God that comes on the sidelines. And you would watch Dabo would go over there and put his arm around Lele, and he would just, he'd be talking to him. He's coaching him from the sideline. Watch, watch this. Do you see that? And he eventually gets back in the game and he does better. So that was kind of a, because I felt like for a period of time, I've been, I was sidelined in ministry. God, why would you pull me out? I've not done anything morally wrong or ethically wrong or legally wrong. You know, what's, why have you pulled me off to the side? Well, come over here and let me coach you for a little while. So being on the sideline doesn't mean God's put you on the shelf. But there's a lot of good wisdom that comes when you're on the sideline. Yeah, I'd venture to say how you're operating today is benefiting from that wisdom. If if not, somebody ought to, you know, (laughs) really discipline me, I guess. I should have learned something. So, and I hope I did. And my my whole thrust is, Can I help somebody when they walk through a crisis? Mm -hmm. And it may be a crisis of relationship. It might be a crisis. I've been pulled out of the game. I feel like I've been pulled. What can I do? And God's not using me right now. Well, that's, that's not, don't waste that time. Let him coach you in those moments. You know, so they're, they're, I just want to help somebody through the crisis that they're experiencing. And so much well, of this is about patience, isn't it? I mean, not, none of us like to be on the sidelines and none of us like for things to take a long time. Yeah. You, you know, earlier you said, you know, there are some things that you're learning now in your mid sixties that are just kind of coming together for you. And that's both yeah. really encouraging and also look really discouraging for those of us who are 15 or 20 years behind you to say like, oh man, we're still, there's still things that aren't going to come together for us until later in life. And yet the patience to trust God's, God's timeline is usually a, a long, you know, the storyline of scripture is him doing things over long stretches of history. Yeah. And it, it's tough when God has to pull you off and teach you a little bit of patience. So, you know, I hear people say, I don't pray for patience, you know, maybe once or twice I have, but it's a, it's a difficult thing. However, it's in those moments that God really unfolds a lot of wisdom in your life. You may have people listening to this who are right now going through a crisis and it's kind of drawn out. And, and 
my word to them would be God never wastes an experience. He's trying to teach you something right now in, in the time that you're going through the crisis, in the time where you're sitting on the sideline. You know, God's working. Don't think God is not active. God is working. And I could, I could quote Piper on this. I wish, I wish I could claim the statement of my own. You know, God's doing 10,000 things and you see three of them. So that, that is critical in a crisis as well to know. I think this is what God is always at work. Well, I'm encouraged. Thank you for that Good. word and for the truth that it is. And, you know, Anchored Hope exists because of the things that we're sharing. Brian and I have gone through our own seasons of uh, difficulties and crisis and being sidelined. And to create a ministry that is able to help people in the midst of it is such an incredible privilege to be yeah. able to do. So, And you would not be here had you not been there. That is 100% the truth. Yeah. Yep. That's true for you and for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now thousands of people are, are getting help because. And I just thank the Lord for that. it. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Dr. Brenson, for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Uh, you are a gift to me and it's a joy to be with you. And uh, we will link the book to the show notes so people can go and check out the book and go buy it. Good. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Good Dr. to see Brunson. you. God's blessings on y'all. You've been listening to This Versus That, a podcast of Anchored Hope Virtual Counseling. To learn more about this episode or our ministry at Anchored Hope, visit anchoredhope.co.